Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see each and every one of you on this hot summer day, already so warm. Hopefully, you are um, getting to spend a little extra time with friends or family or maybe getting in a little bit of travel this summer. Um, I'm hoping to see my mom sometime maybe this summer or maybe in the fall after things cool off a little bit in our sunny hometown of El Centro. Um, you know, she still lives in the same house that I was born and raised in. And every time that I visit her, it is a literal walk down memory lane. Um, the, the, she has some of our toys still. <laughs> She's got these pictures up in every room of the house, um, on walls and on um, counter shelves. And they are of uh, my whole life. It's amazing. I've got my baby pictures next to pictures of my own babies. Um, and one frame in the living room, it has a picture of me uh, from every year from kindergarten through high school. And it's in this oval formation. Uh, maybe there's one out there uh, of you or of your kids. Uh, do you guys know what I'm talking about? So uh, very, very, very um, commonly seen. Um, so last week, my mom took one of those pictures out and she took a photo of it and she sent it to me. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. Here it is. This is eighth grade me. Um, now for me, when I look at it, uh, it's hard not to focus on the hair. <laughs> oh, the hair. Uh, this was my attempt at feathered hair, which was um, kind of all the rage back then, thanks to actress and hair trendsetter Farrah Fawcett. Uh, it seemed like pretty much every female back in her day attempted this iconic do. In fact, a recent InStyle magazine art article placed her hairstyle in an elite pantheon of great hairstyles. And as it turns out, this um, iconic hairdo is making a bit of a renaissance thanks to TikTok. Everyone takes cues from other people, from hairstyles to clothing styles, from parenting choices to career choices. Um, so much so that I think we often don't even realize it. We imitate people in just about every facet of our lives. And being aware of and intentional about who we imitate is particularly important when it comes to things like our faith. Today. We're beginning a new teaching series entitled Yesterday, Today, and Forever, which is an invitation to deepen our faith in Jesus, whose character, purpose, and presence are eternal. And we'll seek to do this by reflecting on the lives of Old Testament figures and considering what it means to imitate their faith. This invitation and this list of emulatable figures actually comes directly from the New Testament book of Hebrews. And I could think of no better tee-up for this series and no better constructed case for the call to active and maturing faith than what's given to us in Hebrews itself. So we're going to launch the series this morning by checking it out. We'll start with some background to set the stage and then we'll move into the message and we'll sit under it towards the end by listening to over a chapter of it in its entirety. So we'll be mixing things up a bit. Now we won't have time to read or get into all of Hebrews this morning by 
any stretch. And it is awesome. So I encourage you to read it, and if possible, in one sitting, so you can receive all of it in its entirety as it was originally intended. And now it's not too long. It can be read in about 45 minutes. Um, and if possible, I encourage you to read it sometime this week so that you have that as a backdrop as we enter into the series. So that's the plan for this morning. Does that sound good? All right, let's dive on in. So some background on Hebrews. First, the format of the letter to the Hebrews. It's a bit of a conundrum in that this letter or epistle doesn't look like a letter in that it has no formal greeting, which is a hallmark of New Testament epistles. But if it's not a letter, then what else could it be? Well, while it's missing some marks of a letter, it does contain some marks of a sermon. In fact, it's a self-described word of exhortation, which is a first century term for what we call a sermon today. In fact, we see this phrase in Acts 13, 15, and here it's, referred to, it's being referring to a sermon. In fact, um, as we zoom out, we also see marks of a sermon. We see a sweeping exegesis with culturally relevant illustrations that bring deeper meaning to the scriptures and its audience's present situation. And there's encouragement and challenge and application to boot. So many theologians believe that Hebrews is a written sermon that was delivered at house church. So who wrote this sermon letter? Well, we don't know. Now, there have been some educated guesses, but really, we just don't know. And we also don't know who the audience is, although we do know a bit about them. The message is packed with citations and allusions to the Old Testament, and this approach from the author points to the audience's Jewishness. And Hebrews contains themes and metaphors that come from and speak to ancient Greco-Roman culture. And also there's this note about Timothy being released from prison at the end, and that gives us a ballpark for time frame. So to sum it up, it's widely believed that Hebrews is a sermon that was delivered in written or spoken form to Hellenistic Jewish Christians during or around the close of the first Roman Jewish war. And that was a time that the church suffered fierce persecution. So now this brings us to the question of why Hebrews was written. The audience had been persecuted for their faith, and they were still suffering. And under the weight of it all, they were feeling the pull to return to their former Jewish belief. And so the author wrote to encourage the audience to remain faithful to Jesus. So while there are some things we know about Hebrews, there's a lot that we don't, but it's okay. As is the case for all of scriptures, what's there and what's not there is by design. God works through all of that, including the anonymity. The unknown author and audience, the exact time during which it was written, all of these things bring a distinct universality to Hebrews. The Hebrew sermon, it is a timeless and divine word of encouragement and a call to active faith for all believers. Hebrews is for us. So let's check it out. 
we'll have sort of a sermon within a sermon today, if you will. Hebrews has a cold open, as they say in the TV viz, in that it just jumps right on into the narrative, or specifically, as is the case for Hebrews, right to a rich thesis on the supremacy of Christ. So without further ado, let's jump on in. Please join me in the scriptures by turning or tapping your way to Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. You're welcome also to follow along on the screens if you like. We read, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Hebrews is filled with truths about Jesus. And the first of these relates to God's revelation to humanity. In the past, God spoke through the prophets. These words from the prophets were expansive and they were inspired, but they were also incomplete. Now God speaks to humanity fully and climactically through his son, the Son through whom God made creation is his first, full, and final word. God's word is revealed through Jesus. And God himself is revealed through the person of Jesus. Verse 3a tells us, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, the radiance of God's glory. Radiance can refer to the light which emanates from a luminous body, or it can be used to refer to a reflection. God's glory, or doxa in Greek, is an expression of who he is. It's what we can see and experience. So when we see the Son, we see the Father's character and his full expression and manifestation in human form. In John 14, 9, Jesus tells Philip that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God-shaped, and seeing Jesus is seeing God. Jesus is God's full and final revelation by his word and by his person. And, as is powerfully argued throughout Hebrews, Jesus is superior to all. Continuing on in verse 3, we read, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Here, we see an allusion to Psalm 110 which is a prophetic word about Jesus, the coronated priest king. A priest offers sacrifices as they mediate between God and humanity. God's exalted son provided purification for sins through his once and for all sacrifice. And the son of God sits at God's right hand. A person seated at the right hand of the king was considered trustworthy and had the power, was granted the power of that king. Jesus is priest, and Jesus is king. And so given all of this, Jesus is superior to the angels. The beginning of this sermon, the first four verses here, they begin by exalting Jesus as God's divine re revelation, and it ends by exalting his person 
his work, and his status. It's a masterful tee-up for, and actually a summary of, the next segment of the message, which is a series of comparisons and contrasts. Now, there's a lot of math going on in my house right now. Melody's taking a summer math class, and uh, Dina's providing some math assistance for some other students. And while I'm not mathematically minded at all, um, I do sort of have math on the brain. And if we were to create a summary of the next segment of the Hebrew sermon using mathematical symbols, it would look something like this. So that carrot there, it's a greater than sign. And here in this portion of Hebrews, uh, the author is making the case that Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than the angels. And the message that he announced is greater than the message that they delivered on Mount Sinai. And the author also argues that Jesus is greater than Moses, whom the Jewish community considered to be the ultimate human. Jesus is greater than Moses, similar to the way in which the builder of a house is greater than the house itself. Jesus is also the ultimate and eternal high priest who empathizes with us. He's above all high priests from the line of Aaron and is a priest not by ancestry, but by the power of an indestructible life. Jesus, who through the Spirit offered himself unblemished to God and died on the cross, he is the once and for all permanent sacrifice, and his sacrifice is greater than any other. And Jesus' covenant, the new covenant, which was foretold by the prophets, it is greater than the covenants that came before him. In fact, Jesus himself made this new covenant possible through his ultimate sacrifice. So, Jesus is greater than. And as we step back and we look at what the author is saying here, we see an ultimate picture on its grandest scale. We're looking at the spiritual realm and the earthly realms and sacred sacrifices and covenants. This is grandiosity at its finest. And as we look at these compare and contrast scriptures, chapters 2 through the middle of chapter 10, we see a robust and theologically profound argument. I was chatting with Esther Chang last week about these passages, and she described them as dissertation-level evidence, which I think is perfectly described. They're eloquently and powerfully backed up by and argued from Old Testament scriptures, which the author knew that the audience was deeply familiar with and deeply respected. It was the basis of their former belief. What's being said here is that Jesus is greater than all of it, and that Jesus is the ultimate and necessary fulfillment of what was foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. As we conclude our math symbol summary of this segment of Hebrews, we see something like this. Jesus is greater than anyone or anything in the earthly or heavenly realms, and his sacrifice and covenant are greater than that of any other. Therefore, which those three dots represent, which I vaguely remember from math, therefore, Christ is supreme over all. This is the Jesus whom the Hebrew audience 
is called to have faith. The author paints this remarkable picture of Jesus. After detailing these truths about him, as well as a set of warnings which emerge from each truth, then the author moves into application in which the audience is encouraged to draw near to God and hold unswervingly to hope and to encourage one another toward love and to persevere. As part of this, the author names some of what the audience had then and were continuing to endure. Public insult, persecution, imprisonment, property confiscation, and the pain and sacrifice associated with standing in solidarity with others who are suffering through these things. This community, they experienced shame and social marginalization, verbal abuse, material and relational loss, and physical, emotional, and spiritual strain. This sermon is a word to believers who are suffering now, while we might not resonate with the original audience's hardships specifically, we all face challenges, financial stress, broken relationships, the strain of making difficult choices, physical, mental, emotional pain. This sermon is a word for us. It offers encouragement to us in Jesus. And it, it extends a call for us to be faithful, just like the original audience. So what does faithfulness look like? And what does it mean in practical terms to press into the call to live a life of faith? That's what the next segment of this message is all about. And it's also what our sermon series is all about. Now this morning, we're going to receive and sit under a bit of Hebrews, the Hebrews sermon, by listening to the next segment uninterrupted and verbatim. And I invite you to receive these words as they are spoken to you for you. We'll start in chapter 10, verse 36, and we'll go through the end of chapter 11. The Word of God. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, 
Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased, com commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he com condemned the world and became heir of the righteous that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. 
but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of the lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The Hebrew sermon. It is a moving, encouraging, and powerful word which speaks to the suffering and shows them how to live by faith. And this word, it comes from someone with a pastoral heart. The author saw the audience in their pain and named it, knew their plight, and said, I see you, and you're not alone. Look, these Old Testament characters whose lives are written on the pages that you've memorized, they have endured every manner of hardship. And you know what? In it, they give you a gift. They show you what it looks like to move through difficulty by faith. And what we see here is living by faith is active. This is what faith looks like. And this is how you should live. It looks like building an ark when no one had ever seen a flood. It looks like uprooting self and family, even though the destination is unknown. For Abraham, it looked like binding his son to an altar, who was his gift and his promise from God because Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Now, we see something interesting in the description of Abraham's thought process. We see here that Abraham's faithful action began with reason. The faith that we're called to isn't blind. It begins with reason. It is informed, and it is based on the foretold, encountered, and eternal truths of Jesus and his kingdom. These truths are what the first segment of the Hebrew sermon, the, the supremacy of Christ segment, 
That's what it's all about. And the next segment, the application piece that we just heard, it reveals that faith looks like action. Faith begins with reason, and it looks like action. Hebrews 13, 7, 8 is the basis of our new sermon series, and it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God calls believers to active faith. And this is the invitation we'll reflect on this summer as we remember our leaders who spoke the word of God to us. This is what the beginning of our summer will look like. We'll consider what it means to imitate their faith. And we'll do this in order to deepen our faith in Jesus. Over the next six weeks, we will look at faithfulness in the face of adversity as demonstrated by some Old Testament figures found in the list that we heard this morning. We'll look at the lives of Abel, who gave by faith, and Abraham, who stepped out by faith, and Moses, who stepped down by faith, and the Israelites, who obeyed by faith, and Rahab, who welcomed by faith. Our sermon series graphic was designed by the amazing Kyle Borges, and it gets at Jesus, who remains the same forever in this infinity symbol. And the expansive concentric circles, those symbolize God's all-encompassing faithfulness and story. And it contains some images which represent the accounts that we'll be reflecting on in the coming weeks. God's kingdom is forever. Psalm 145.13 tells us, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Faith sits at the fulcrum of remembering and foreshadowing as what's remembered in the past and hoped for in the future is brought into the present. God's kingdom is everlasting and his purposes and presence transcend time in Jesus and by faith in us. We're invited to be a part of God's grand redemptive narrative. The reason that the words which spoke to the original audience thousands of years ago continue to speak to us today is that the story God authors extends through and beyond time and he desires for us to join in on it. The original audience was told that none of the ancients received what had been promised because God planned something better for us so that only together with us could they be made perfect. Together with us. Beyond the grave, these Old Testament figures are speaking to us and they're watching us. And the pages of our stories are bound together with theirs by faith as we participate in God's grand and eternal story. We all imitate other people, and we're called to deepen our faith in Jesus and participate in his kingdom by learning from and following the examples of the ancients. As we close out our time today, I invite you to consider, who are you imitating today? Who influences you? How does this impact your life? Does this draw you closer to or further from God? 
What might the Spirit be revealing to you as you reflect? Highway family, Jesus, the eternal and ultimate priest, and once and for all sacrifice, who is God's first and final word, he is the object of our faith. So, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we draw near to and deepen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may these words from Hebrews 12 meet us and move us by faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Almighty Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us in him and that we are reconciled to you in him. Jesus Christ, you are supreme over all. You are king and you are worthy of our trust. So may we deepen and mature our faith in you. May that, may that faith, may it, may it look like action. I pray that we would be aware of and participate in your kingdom work. I pray that the words of our leaders and the scriptures, that they would speak the word of God to us. May we have the ears to hear these words well. Holy Spirit, work through these words so that they impact our behaviors and our choices, how we live our lives in order to be a part of your kingdom. Come on earth as it is in heaven. For it is in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen.